1: Hello, Internet, and welcome to Table Reads, the podcast where we take scripts that have never been filmed and read them so that you might experience the joy of terrible writing that Hollywood has tried to deny you. Your hosts on this tour of Unproduced Dreck are Sean McBee and me, Trevor Thompson, who have written enough terrible nonsense together and apart that it should keep this show running forever good start to the show
0: man jesus yo well i i didn't mean to spill your tea by bumping the table you didn't you didn't actually oh okay i was just i was i was worried that i had also shut up <laughs> welcome everybody to table reads uh you know a bit a bit ago trevor and i well we didn't run out of our own material I think we just couldn't take it anymore for a while and we needed a break. So we've been uh, reading some other people's stuff. And uh, we recently tried to read an early draft of Star Wars, and we don't know that
1: you'll ever hear it. The only good news that came from it was the fact that we realized we're actually better writers than George Lucas. Well, I don't know that that's good news, because what that well, says to me, okay, let me amend is that we should be billionaires. No, it doesn't, because there's no accounting for talent. But the fact of the matter is, it's that us at our worst is better than George at his worst. Yes. I think that's fair. Yes. George George can fall further than we can. I hope he
0: had. He, he definitely rose higher than we ever have,
1: or will. Jesus. Set the set the fucking bar pretty high, didn't he? He did. So, uh, in continuing with our vein of reading
0: early drafts of uh, fantastic movies... Actually, I'm sorry,
1: go ahead. Um, no, what were you going to say? Go ahead. I was going to say, you know, we... <laughs> It was doing. It was. It was trying to find some way to make the Star Wars uh, scripts and episodes interesting. That kind of leads to the way we're approaching this episode of Table Reads. Because I remember saying to Sean, "You know, if we could maybe assign." voices that we do like of actors and stuff to the script and then you know have the score the john williams score and there's a shit ton of ben burt sound effects available on the web we could have made it like a a drop board we could have at least had an attempt to make it somewhat interesting and and then eventually sean in his brilliance said or fuck star wars altogether and um Let's do the same treatment with the first yeah.
0: draft of Back to the Future by Bob Zemeckis and Bob Gale.
1: Yes, and uh, so this is uh, this is which draft? First draft. This is the
0: very first draft that they put out. Uh, it's dated twenty-four February nineteen eighty-one. Oh shit, girls and boys, it's time to go back. <laughs>
1: So yeah, I uh, I made us. You, know,
0: you know, Trevor, when I was a little iffy about doing this, um, well, last night and tonight, uh,
1: <laughs> five minutes before I pulled up, <laughs>
0: uh, you you could have said, you know, we're gonna get to listen to the Back to the Future music. Yeah,
1: because like now I'm like in a super good mood. It does put you in a good mood. I made us a special uh, playlist here on the iTunes bay uh, of, of every possible uh, Back to the Future piece of music. Uh, to uh, to sit underneath us here and to uh, keep us company.
0: Every possible Back to the Future original movie piece of music.
1: Yes, that's correct. Because the first uh, movie.
0: This is uh, a different tri- Now Doc Brown, you know, isn't Doc Brown in this?
1: What Professor Brown? In professor this Brown. That's going to be uh, difficult for me, Marty. I haven't <laughs> I haven't received my doctorate, Marty. Jesus Christ,
0: Professor! You disintegrated your pet monkey. <laughs>
1: <laughs> is he a pet monkey
0: in this? Uh, I don't know if it's this, there was, there was a draft where Einstein was a monkey, and his name wasn't Einstein.
1: Oh, then it was like in the uh, in, in part three, where it's like <laughs> Jesus Christ, Professor, you disintegrated Copernicus! <laughs> uh, uh,
0: it's not, not a monkey, a chimpanzee, I believe. A chimpanzee. Yes, a chimpanzee. A
1: chimpanzee. I so,
0: uh, let's get started. We got let's, the music.
1: Yeah, we do. Uh, so, for the record,
0: you are Marty. I'll be Marty. Uh, Trevor, because now, based on the... Based on on the actual movie as it was released, pretty much every character interacts with Marty, so one person's going to have to be Marty and one person's going to have to be everyone else, I think. Yeah, I don't think Marty... This draft is very different
1: from what I understand. I don't think there's any scenes without Marty in the final movie. No, there aren't. Yeah, that's crazy.
0: It just follows Marty the whole time.
1: Yeah. You ready to tackle this fucker?
0: As Capone would say if he had recorded it yet. Yeah. Fade in. Back to the Future, written by Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale. First draft, 24 February 1981. Physicists propose that two alternate histories, two equally valid realities, could exist side by side, the one you know and the one in which you don't exist. Time itself may have many potential dimensions, despite the fact that we are condemned to experience only one of them. Carl Sagan. Hey kids, what time is it? Buffalo Bob Smith, The Howdy Doody Show. Fade in. Exterior, outer space. The mothership rises above Devil's Tower and sails off into space to the strains of John Williams, and not Alan Silvestri. (laughs) I was just like, damn, we need that music. In a moment, we realize that we're watching the end titles of Close Encounters, and then we pull back to reveal that the image is on a TV monitor. As we continue pulling back, we discover a bank of video equipment, and Close Encounters is being pirated from a three-quarter-inch cassette to VHS and beta.
1: Oh shit! This is top of the line back in
0: 1982. Oh yeah. Well, you know, they they didn't have a winner in the VHS and Beta wars yet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> back to the Future two reference, folks, it, isn't it? No,
0: that was a thing.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I like, was thinking like about the, the blue, like the Blu-ray and HD DVD wars. I was thinking about a the laser discs in the alleyway that were discarded in, in Back to the Future two, combined with uh, some, oh, and it's some kind of weird lawyer wars anyway interior video
0: (laughs) all restaurants are taco bell (laughs) after after the The restaurant wars the franchise wars (laughs) interior video work area laboratory day the video pirate operating this equipment is marty mcfly 17 a good-looking kid who has an air of confidence just shy of cockiness he's wearing a silver porsche jacket and like most typical modern day kids, not a stitch of his clothing is without some brand name or form of advertising. He's looking at an ad for a guitar amp in Rolling Stone. With the movie over, Marty shuts down the equipment, ejects the cassettes, and writes on them Close Encounters, comma, Original Edition. he I don't know why I said comma. He puts the master tape back in a drawer and we catch a glimpse of a few other titles. Empire Strikes Back, Stir Crazy, Superman 2. Stir Crazy was a great movie. Everything that just came out when we wrote this. Marty packs up his cassette with his school books and takes us into another part of the laboratory. The lab is a huge room and workbenches are all over, covered with chemical and electronic equipment. The place is old and dusty and has the air of a mad scientist lab of the 50s. An elderly man is hunched over an experiment on one side of the lab. Marty calls to him, Professor Brown, it's almost 8.30, I'm out of here. Professor Emmett Brown, late 60s, is tinkering with a device that looks like a solar cell, positioning it under a skylight to catch the sun's rays. He is eccentric, moody, but basically kindly, and very involved in his work. Marty has a closer look at what the professor is working on. The device is easily 30 years old, and Brown pours a chemical solution into a compartment in the cell. He plugs a patch cord from the cell into a voltmeter. An incandescent bulb on the panel glows dimly, and the meter needles move slightly.
1: BLAST IT!
0: 24 measly volts! He throws an Erlenmeyer flask across the room. It shatters against the wall. I wish I had a
1: sound effect for that. The power of a million hydrogen bombs! He points to the sun. And we get 24 measly volts! It's not fair! I've been working on this power converter since 1949, and you'd think, in all that time, I could find the right chemicals that would efficiently convert radiation into electrical energy, but no! 33 years of dedication to research, and all I've got to show for it is a bootleg video operation.
0: That reminds me, if we could scrape up enough for 35 film chain, I've got a connection with this projectionist in a first-run house. We could be selling new movies on the street before they're even in the theater. A 35 film chain? I'll see what I can do. The professor ponders his power converter. Marty is on his way out. He pauses at a door with five locks on it and tries it. Of course it doesn't open.
1: <laughs> Won't give up, will you,
0: Marty? One of these days you're going to leave this door open, and I'll find out what's in there. Did you ever consider that some doors are locked for a reason? <laughs> nope. The way I figure it, doors are meant to be opened.
1: See you after school. Oh, Marty! What? What time did you say it was? 8.30. A.M. or p.m.? Pro, the sun's out. Oh, right, right. Jeez, for a guy with a ton
0: of clocks, you sure don't pay much attention to time. That's a good line. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it saves the set dresser the time for buying all the clocks. Yeah. Marty just says, oh, you got lots of clocks. We don't even need to show them. We him. don't need to
1: see them. <laughs> They're, they're in the clock room. Just put the, the, the sound effects below of ticking and we'll, we'll buy it. Oh, wait, never mind. Indeed, there are a number of clocks all over the lot. <laughs> That's the direction. Yeah. On the contrary, I may not pay much attention to the measurement of time, but I'm very aware of time itself. As he talks, Brown walks toward Marty. I believe time to be its own dimension, to be contained
0: To be controlled. Marty has had enough of the professor's rambling. He's heading down the stairway. Catch you later. Marty is gone. To be traveled through. Oh, man, too bad Marty didn't hear that part. Yeah, right. (laughs) Professor Brown unlocks the door and enters. Interior. Locked room. (laughs) Kind of reads like the old Zork games. You are likely to be eaten by a grue. The center of attention here is a morass of equipment of 1940s and 50s vintage that looks like something out of amazing stories or weird science. I thought it was about ass.
1: Sorry. You think everything is about more ass. Oh my god, set up and pitch and he fucking knocks it out the park and I didn't even know I was playing a game. Didn't even oil up my glove. Fuck me in the ass. Which is now oiled. <laughs> from, from the from, glove. Yeah. I mean, why else would I buy Needs foot oil?
0: <laughs> a series of lenses is the final end to the maze, indicating that a ray of some sort is to be beamed down on
1: whatever. <laughs> or a ray or an Egon. <laughs> Sorry. Professor Brown admires his invention. If only I could harness enough power!
0: What's, a little over the top there, don't you
1: think, Doc? It's Doc! <laughs> Christopher Lloyd. If only I can harness enough power! Fucking Christopher Lloyd is channeling Leopold Straczynski. No, at that point, Christopher Lloyd. Wasn't an, even a fucking. At, at that point, you were reading Doc as
0: Christopher Lloyd and, and William Shatner's love child. And Judge Doom. If only I could harness enough power! Okay, I could do it like that. No, don't do that. Don't. It takes forever. We're not
1: ever doing any Star Trek movies. Why not? Because you would read the... First of all, I wouldn't want to be Kirk. I'd want to be at least George Takei, who is a character in Star Trek. Oh, my. (laughs) Oh, my.
0: (laughs) Interior, stairway, Marty. (laughs) Marty comes down the stairs to street level and goes out the door. Exterior, Orpheum Theater Building, day. Marty steps, I hope some other characters show up soon and we can stop with so much direction. Yeah. Marty steps out onto the street from the Orpheum Theater Building, the third floor of which houses the lab. The theater is old and abandoned. On the marquee are the words, Assembly of Christ. From the outside, the two stories of offices above the theater look just as destitute. From outside, the two stories of offices above the theater look just as destitute, with weathered, soot-covered walls and occasional boarded-up windows. Most of the neighboring businesses are boarded up as well. Hill Valley's a shithole, everybody. (laughs) It's like alternate 1985. Not quite. There aren't people on fire in the street. We're there. We get the... Also, this is 1981. We get the feeling this was once a thriving business district, but those days are long gone. A black van is parked a little ways down the street. On its side, we see the letters NRC. Two men are putting samples of gutter water into test tubes. They pay no attention to Marty. Marty goes next door into one of the only operating businesses in sight. Wilson's Cafe, a lunch, a lunch counter joint on its last legs. Interior, Wilson's Cafe. Marty enters. The proprietor, Dick Wilson, 35, is behind the counter. Dick is quite overweight, and he's munching on a baby Ruth candy bar. Morning,
1: Dick. Marty. What's well, for breakfast. I've decided to do him as Paul Lind. Okay. <laughs> give me some chili,
0: fries, and a tab. Marty glances at the sports page of a discarded paper on the counter as Dick brings him the tab.
1: Tab? I can't give you a tab unless you order something. Hot tab. Rubber biscuit in the third race at <laughs> Arlington. Wait, wait
0: is, is he robot Paul Lind?
1: Rod tip <laughs> Hot
0: Tip rubber biscuit in the third race at Arlington. <laughs> Robot Paul
1: Wynn, oh man. I want your hot rod. Hot tip, rubber biscuit in the third race at Arlington. Hey Dick, what's with those guys out there in the gutter? Third time they've been out
0: there this week. Marty watches them for a moment. What's that RC? I don't
1: know. National Cash Register. Ah, oh, this guy's a fucking smarty. Yeah, I mean, I shouldn't have done him as Paul Lin. Paul Lin is way funnier. <laughs> <laughs> also, that was a terrible Paul Lin. You yeah. do a decent
0: Paul Lind, and you are do not doing I'm, that. I don't know that
1: I have ever done Paul Lin decently. Ugh.
0: I don't know.
1: I, I feel like everyone can do
0: Paul Lin sometimes. I'll scratch your eyes out. Yeah, mine was terrible, too.
1: <clears throat> it's just in the air right now, a bad Paul Lin. Yeah.
0: Cut to insert science textbook. Insert, in case uh, anyone here doesn't know, is uh, when you get a close-up of one item in a scene, that's called an insert. Those are usually shot later after the actual scene.
1: They're not asking you to actually insert a science textbook. A photograph of a mushroom cloud with
0: the caption, Last above-ground atomic test, March 18, 1952, Atkins, Nevada. A hand writes the initials, MM plus SP in the cloud draws an arrow through it like a valentine and then writes how about the dance Saturday we'll have a blast
1: either way he did go to school
0: yeah he did now but first he stopped by the diner and got chili for breakfast
1: yeah but then he went to school but there was no him going to school so this has to be played now do it boom Interior science classroom, on Marty.
0: The hand belongs to Marty, who fakes attention to the lecture being given by Mr. Arky, a frustrated and embittered, embittered teacher of 55.
1: There were only, there were only three. He's, he's frustrated and embittered. Don't read him boring. I was trying to do him as, uh, what's his name? Um, ben Stein. Yeah, don't do Ben Stein. Be um. like his wife. Frustrated and bittered. Let me think. It's a good voice for frustrated and bittered. Brack? <laughs> no. uh
0: Do Dennis Leary. I don't think I can do Dennis. A little toned down, Dennis Leary. Come on. All right. Um, Just think that kind of cadence, like "No Cure for Cancer" era. Yeah.
1: There were only three above-ground atomic tests in the United States, so the government took every opportunity to study the effects of radiation. Actual, single, family-tracked homes were furnished with refrigerators. TVs no, you skipped, oh, I skipped, a line. skipped a line. Were constructed on that test site. Totally furnished with refrigerators, TVs, furniture, anything you could find in a typical home. Just so scientists could learn what kind of damage an atomic bomb would do to a typical town. They even put mannequins in the houses, just like an auto crash tester's. Marty tears the page out of his textbook and winks at Susie
0: Parker. Susie? Mmm. Oh, wow, that's a sexy name. The cute girl across the aisle and behind him. They exchange a smile, and Marty tosses the folded page to her.
1: But the remains that today. But the, fact? but the fact remains today. 30 years after those early nuclear tests, the threat of nuclear annihilation is as great as it ever was. Certainly, nuclear annihilation is something you all must have thought about. Any questions? Comments? Ideas?
0: Anyone? No reaction at all from the class. No one has a hand up. No one
1: seems interested. I'm talking about the complete and total destruction of the entire world! Doesn't anybody have anything to say about it? No,
0: no one does. Arky is becoming angered and frustrated. Oh, you know what we should have done? We should have done Louis Black.
1: I can't really do Louis. I'll... I'll Well I'll try. No no. We're already on this one. Tact, go. How about you, Mr. Jackson? Huh? Would you like to share some of
0: your wisdom with the class? Jackson clearly wouldn't. Now Susie writes something on Marty's note, folds it, and tosses it back. It lands on the floor near Marty and he picks it up. Mr. Gomez, any thoughts? Miss Parker. Mr. Crump, any reaction? Marty unfolds the note. Insert the note. Next to the mushroom cloud has been written, that's sick. On the back has been written, yes. Back to
1: shot. Marty smiles. How about you, Mr. McFly? Marty quickly folds the note and shoves it in his pocket. Did you ever hear the, did you even hear the question, Mr. McFly?
0: To be fair, he didn't actually ask a question. Yeah. He just ranted about nuclear bombs and then said, anyone have any thoughts? Marty looked up facing the inevitable. He might as well give his honest opinion. Yeah. You want to know what I think about atomic bombs? Well, I kind of like to see one. Foreshadowing.
1: You'd like to see a nuclear holocaust. It's not a holocaust. Mr. McFly, Mr. McFly here wants to nuke it all just so he can see it. You know damn well that's not what I meant. All I can say is that's one hell of an attitude, Mr. McFly. They wrote hell of an. H e l l u v a n. Mm-hmm. All I can say is that's one hell of an attitude, Mister McFly. Let's explode a hundred megaton geothermal nuclear device just to see it. Yeah, explode it up your ass. Unfortunately, the way things are going, you may get your wish. You may see the entire annihilation of the world. If not, you'll certainly see the destruction of all your natural our natural resources. We can certainly see the air we breathe, not to mention the pollution in our rivers and lakes. We'll see all of our oil reserves depleted. In fact, all of our energy sources. Yes, you people have a lot to look forward to. A lot to see.
0: Jesus Christ, talk about being written at the height of the Cold War. Yeah, right. Hey, Mr. Arky, give me a break. I'm 17 years old. I'm not responsible for all these problems. Fuck the
1: Russians! Boy, that's what I'm saying. It's the early 80s and we're all scared. Reagan's got us. Oh, it doesn't say that. No. I went off page.
0: (laughs) You're responsible for all these problems. Mr. Arky sobers up in size.
1: No, of course you're not. Not for the problems, no. But for the solutions, yes. Yes. The bell rings. There is a rush to
0: the door. When I wake up in the morning, the alarm the-
1: <laughs> See
0: you tomorrow. Exterior. High school. Day. Students pour out of the school. It's a typically middle American school. Brick. Idyllic. Flanked by oak trees. There is some graffiti in a boarded up window or two. It says right after idyllic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Students begin their after-school rituals of smoking, drinking, loitering, eyeing girls or guys, as the case may be, showing off their cars. Marty is among a group of kids, surreptitiously exchanging videotapes for cash. Rafe Newton approaches him.
1: (laughs) Rafe? Hey, Marty, spot me 50 till the weekend, would you? I'm down to my last 20.
0: Can't, man. I'm saving up for that new amp.
1: Well, when you're a big rock star, how about loaning me a grand?
0: You got it. Checks his watch. I gotta go. Next to Marty is his friend
1: Donaldson. <laughs> Hi, man. What happened to your digital quartz? Donaldson, doesn't that sound fucking Spanish? <laughs> I figure with a name like Donaldson. In the shop,
0: some sporting this antique. Check out this wind-up action.
1: <laughs> wow, they gave him an antique
0: wristwatch. Marty shows him a gold wind-up wristwatch. Marty stuffs a wad of cash in his pocket as he and Donaldson descend the steps, and then Christopher Walken comes looking for it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you got you you got I wore this move uncomfortable on, thing move on. up my ass. Donaldson. Oh. Hey, you want to come over? And get high? Me tomorrow. I got to dupe some more tapes. Hey, that reminds me. My brother's getting... Oh, I'm doing him as a Latino. Hey, it reminds me. Whatever. My brother's getting married next week, and I'm throwing a party for him. Can you provide some entertainment? Yeah, I can run something off this afternoon. So Marty's like the local fucking tape dupe guy? Yeah. Okay.
0: He's the the, uh, video pirate. Okay. Interior lab on Marty Day. As we hear the sounds of heavy breathing orgiastic panting, and other porno sound effects. Marty shakes his head at what he's seeing, we can't see it, and turns down the volume. He's, of course, copying a porno film. Yes. Marty puts a big wad of cash into a cigar b- box on the bench, then walks over to another area of the lab. Interior lab, Professor Brown's quarters. Professor Brown is sleeping on an army cot, covered with a horse blanket. Nearby is an... Can we not have lyrics running under me while I read the direction? Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Professor Brown's sleeping is really ominous. Okay. Uh, He's sleeping on an army cot covered with a horse blanket. Nearby is an old refrigerator, a hot plate, and some clothes hanging from an exposed pipe. Marty opens the refrigerator and pulls out a bottle of Coke. He inadvertently knocks an orange out, and it rolls across the floor under the cot. Foreshadowed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Marty stoops down to get the orange. He moves the blanket and reacts with astonishment at what he sees. A crate with purple radioactivity emblems labeled. Extreme danger, radioactive plutonium, authorized personnel only. Do not handle without radiation suit. And further down, property of San Onofre nuclear power plant. San Anafrae, California. The orange is resting right up against it. Marty takes a deep breath, then uses his foot to roll the orange away from the crate. He cautiously backs away. This music's pretty good for this scene, actually. I just started it again. He cautiously backs away from the cot and tosses the orange into a trash can. Good call. Professor Brown continues sleeping soundly. Marty twists off the coat, coat cap, takes a swig, and walks over to a cage with an organ grinder monkey in it. Wow. Hey Shemp, how you doing? Yeah, I can't do Shemp. I can do Curly and Larry. (laughs) Shemp is wearing a red coat and hat. Marty opens up the cage and lets Shemp climb on him. Oh, so it is a monkey. It's not a chimpanzee. Now Marty walks over to where the power converter is set up. Nearby is a stack of blueprints. Very old. Marty has a look. The blueprints included on top the photoelectric chemical power converter, which is the invention on the bench, the 15-tube mechanical home butler, which is a robot, the Aeromobile, a flying car, <gasps> foreshadowing. <clears throat> foreshadowing to a different draft yeah. and its sequel, uh, and something called a Ritomatic, which resembles a pen and a wire-attached suction cup, with a wire-attached suction cup. Marty studies the power converter itself. The last rays of the afternoon sun shine through the skylight and fall on the photocell. A funnel is sticking out of the chemical chamber, and it becomes just too much for Marty to resist. He pours some Coca-Cola in it. It interacts with some Mentos. What the fuck? Suddenly, a blinding spark crackles from the other end of the device. Marty jumps back. Professor Brown awakens with a start. He looks
1: around, then rushes over to the power converter. what oh you're fucking lying douche i was worried about the sound effects what happened well i'm not sure exactly i accidentally spilled some coke in here just a drop
0: brown hooks the voltmeter and light up brown hooks up the voltmeter and light bulb give me that he takes the coke from marty and pours a little into the funnel the light bulb glows brilliantly the voltmeter needle jumps and the equipment hums brown pours in more coke The bulb glows with increasing
1: intensity, then explodes! Wait a minute, I got an explosion sound effect. Is it appropriate for a light bulb? Oh, no.
0: The voltmeter needle goes off the scale. The power converter vibrates and falls off the bench. The professor stares in disbelief. His hands begin to tremble. His reaction would be no different if Jesus Christ himself walked into the room. He checks the ingredients on the bottle. What's in this stuff? Nobody knows the formula for Coca-Cola. It's the most closely guarded secret in the world. The professor ponders the discovery, then gathers up the power converter and goes to the locked door. He begins unlocking it, then looks at Marty. I'll see you tomorrow. Professor Brown takes the device into the room and locks the door behind him. Interior, Marty's bedroom. Night. Marty, wearing headphones, is playing his electric guitar along with a record record on his stereo. His bedroom walls have posters of rock stars. A
1: second- I'm getting there, hold That's on. That's
0: the wrong rock sound, man.
1: You need some Huey Lewis. No. I need- Pinheads. Marty. I need Marty jamming on his fucking guitar. That's what I need.
0: His bedroom walls have posters of rock stars. A second bed and bedroom set are a testament to an older brother no longer living at home. As Marty plays, he walks around using the top of the guitar's neck to move objects and lift magazines on the desk and bureaus. He's looking for something. He moves a rolling stone. Under are some tools. He moves an issue of heavy metal and the lampoon. Under it, some homework. The record ends. Marty takes off the headphones and yells out the door, Who stole my drill?! He's answered by a woman's voice. Dinner's ready. Woman's
1: you gotta be, voice. You gotta
0: be Lorraine.
1: Yeah. I don't think her Aunt name's Lorraine Manny. in this. Yeah, it's something but, else. Oh, it's Eileen. Eileen. I hate that name. I really hate that name. I said it already. Who's the... Oh. Marty, dinner's ready. Interior McFly home, night. Marty goes downstairs
0: into the living room. The furnishings are Montgomery Ward slash Sears george mcfly the same. 47 is absorbed in a boxing match on tv he's balding bored uninspired a man who lost at the game of life anybody seen the drill his father doesn't react his mother eileen 47 sticks her head out of the kitchen once she was very attractive now she's in a rut
1: i've been calling you for five minutes didn't you hear me I'm doing her with a Minnesota accent Because Prince is dead
0: Oh, Prince died today, everybody The day that we're recording this Not the day that you're listening
1: to it Because I don't know when the fuck you're listening to it What do you think I am? Jesus You're one of those guys that knows when people record things They have a name, but I'm not going to say it because it's racist I was practicing I've got an audition next week i got to practice How am I going to get famous if I don't practice? You won't get famous if you don't eat either Actually, a lot of famous people don't eat. That's how it works. She goes back in the kitchen. Dad, you see my
0: drill? Uh, Oh, what drill? The, The drill, the power drill I bought you for Christmas. I was using it last night. Oh, it'll turn up. Marty sits down on the kitchen where his mother is putting food on the table.
1: George, dinner's ready. Coming, Eileen, instead of, this is obviously before, come on, Eileen. (laughs) <laughs> coming eileen george just sits there watching the
0: boxing match
1: now george dinner's ready now
0: coming eileen a commercial comes on this music is not appropriate i
1: don't think there's any music appropriate for that scene actually so let's leave it music free shut up
0: god you don't need to be phil Spector. a commercial comes on phil specter didn't need to be phil specter In way more ways than one. A commercial comes on. George gets up and rolls the TV stand over to where he'll be able to watch from the dinner table.
1: To Marty. How was school today? Fine. Learn anything? Oh, yeah. That's good. Now George sits down. How was school today? Fine.
0: Learn anything? Oh, yeah. Good. George turns his attention totally to the TV. Marty looks at the newspaper. Eileen stares off into space. 20 seconds of lively family dinner conversation by the sportscaster giving the blow-by-blow on TV. Finally, Eileen opens her mouth again.
1: By the way, it reminds me, Saturday night we're taking Grandma Stella out for Chinese food. Alan, Chinese food again. Eileen, whatever, not Lorraine. (laughs) George, if you don't want Chinese food, pick a place you want to go and make a reservation. That means I'll have to pick up the phone, Ma. Huh? No, Chinese food is fine. Saturday night's the Springtime in Paris Dance. I'm taking Susie Parker. Oh, the Springtime in Paris Dance. You hear that, George? They're still having the Springtime in Paris Dance. Ah, oh, that was our first date. Remember, George? I remember everything about that night. Remember the first time we kissed? It was during the last dance. They were playing that Eddie Fisher song, Turn Back the Hands of Time. See what they
0: did there, everybody?
1: I even remember how you asked me out. Oral sex right there in the cafeteria. (laughs) (laughs) We were in the cafeteria. You were so scared you spilled your cream corn all over my back. Except for the part about Oliver, her he back, folks. It but
0: it George <laughs> it just your cream <laughs> George just stares at the TV, oblivious to his wife. And I probably won't be here when you get wake up Saturday Sunday morning. Susie and I are going to go down to the lake and watch the sunrise.
1: The sunrise, what for? To see it. George
0: doesn't get it. He turns his attention back to the TV. You mean you're going to stay up all night? Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: all night long. Mom, how else are we going to see the sunrise? You fucking wake up early. Yeah, right.
1: I don't think I like the idea of you staying out all night with a girl.
0: Hey, Mom, give me a break. There's a sudden pounding on the back door. No one moves to answer it. Pounding again. Would you answer that, George? George ignores her. Finally, Marty gets it. At the back door, Marty opens the door and there is Biff Tannen, 47, an intimidating lout whose pot belly protrudes from his security guard uniform. Ooh. His tie is undone, shirt tail out, obviously home from work. His shoulder patch reads, special security officer. Marty isn't happy to see Biff,
1: and the feeling is mutual. Well, well, if it isn't the neighborhood bootlegger, Al Capone McFly. <laughs> what do you want, Biff? Hey, show me some respect, you little a-hole. It's Special Officer Tannen to you. What's the matter, Biff? I'm
0: not showing you any respect down at the golf course. Don't they realize what a tough job it is keeping the criminal element away from the country club? Listen, you little a-hole, I oughta. What do you want, Biff? (sighs) Where's your old man? Marty gestures into the kitchen. Biff now reveals he has a broken power drill and a set of bits. Interior, kitchen.
1: Biff approaches George. Hey, McFly, what's with this cheap-ass drill you're giving me? Thing burned up first time I even used it. Almost ruined my whole engine block. Marty shakes his head. Uh, Biff, these are wood bits. Says so right here. You're not supposed to use them on your engine block. Look, McFly, I know a lot about tools. This is a cheap-ass drill. You're just lucky I didn't ruin my engine block. Next time you buy tools, let me know. I'll help you pick out some good ones. Gives George the drill. Oh, and uh, one more thing. My kid's selling Girl Scout cookies. I told Biff you- has a kid. Yeah. And you know what's also fucked up? This was actually shot. That line, only it wasn't Biff. It was the fucking neighbor. The neighbor came over, like, right after Biff left. And they actually shot it. It's in the deleted scenes. The mm. fucking guy comes over. And it's just to show how much of a fucking, you know. It- to be fair, Biff always had a kid.
0: Did he really? Well, how else do you think? Who do you think Oh, Griff. Griff's, yeah, Griff's yeah, Griff. grandparent
1: is? Griff's <coughs> parent, because because Griff they, isn't his son, Griff's his grandson. But they wanted uh, they wanted to show that not just Biff could treat George like shit. Like so, even the neighbors, like yeah. By the way, I know a fucking oh, I gotcha. Yeah, but here Biff still does it. Uh, oh, one more thing, my kid's selling Girl Scout cookies. I told her you were good for four boxes. Don't make me a liar. George nods timid-
0: timid- t- timidly. Tim <laughs> Idly. George nods timidly as Biff exits. He turns and faces his wife and son, who meet his gaze with knowing looks. How do you like that guy? (laughs) Using wood bits on an engine block. Marty gets up from the table and storms out into the living room. Where are you going? In reply, we hear the slam of the front door. Mm -hmm. Exterior, McFly home, Marty. Night. Marty puts on his silver Porsche jacket and stomps across the front lawn. He punches the beat-up old mailbox, which has the address, 777, then kicks the family car. Exterior, a residential street, night. Marty is taking a walk with Susie Parker. (coughs) Marty's been talking, and although still frustrated, he's now much more at ease. He just lets himself get pushed around all the time. People walk all over him, and he never fights back,
1: never stands up for himself. No self-confidence, I guess at least you don't take after him
0: yeah jesus i mean if someone calls me a chicken i'll do anything
1: (laughs) but only in the sequels yeah no mention of it at all until i get back that following morning um you think something would have happened to me in 1955 to trigger that behavior but no Nope. (laughs) (laughs) yeah jesus i wonder how i even got up enough nerve to marry my mom
0: they walk a bit in silence because that's good cinema just five minutes of them walking
1: through gives, the park. Gives the actors some business to work on. God, can you imagine your parents in bed together? No way! Me neither. I've always wondered whether they slept together before they got married. You think yours did? Hell no! The way my mom carries on about sex, you even say the word and she goes
0: into cardiac arrest. My Marty McFly is terrible. I like it. That's how I know it's terrible.
1: <laughs> Just sitting there going, man, Sean's fucking awful at this. Amen. It's amazing. <laughs> I haven't I haven't aced a single voice in, in pretty much any episode of this podcast, so I'm not worried about it.
0: You even say the word and she goes into cardiac arrest. You should have seen her face when I told you we were going to stay up all night Saturday. always afraid that something's going to happen.
1: Is something going to happen Saturday night?
0: You know, I don't feel like answering that, so my cock's going to answer it for me. (laughs) Before Marty can answer, he gets hit in the leg by a runaway skateboard. Two kids down the street have been running an obstacle course, and the loser is picking himself up off the (laughs) pavement. Marty hops on the skateboard and whizzes over to the kid. He can't resist showing off. He maneuvers smoothly through the obstacles, jumps over the last one and lands perfectly on the board, then hops off, flipping the board into the air and catching it hands it back to the kid. Wow, you're good. You mean you got to use your hands? This is some kind of baby toy. Sorry. Marty grins and rejoins Susie. She, too, is impressed. Just like riding a bike. You never forget how to do it. They're standing in front of a house. Susie looks at it, then at Marty. Obviously, it's her house, because it says Susie up in front of it. (laughs) Well, here we are they look at each other for a moment thanks he kisses her see you later she goes into her house and is murdered apparently this judging for the music marty watches her then continues down the street alone with his thoughts as he walks a black sedan approaches slowly from in front of him and passes by
1: oh yeah now we need that music
0: there appears to be some sort of receiving apparatus on the roof now we see the sedan make a U-turn in the street behind Marty and come up right behind him. Marty becomes aware of the headlights behind him. He looks at the car and steps over to the side of the street. The car pulls up alongside of him, and two government types get out. There are NRC markings on the car.
1: Good evening, Agents Reece and Foley from the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Reese displays his ID. Mind stepping over here? Marty cautiously steps over. What's this all about? Routine radiation check.
0: Foley takes a Geiger counter and checks Marty. Nothing unusual happens until Foley checks Marty's feet. Then there is some noticeable clicking, especially on the foot that went nearest the plutonium. Oh. Reese and Foley exchange a look.
1: Have you got any identification, son? He doesn't say son. No, don't, don't don't ad lib. I didn't see. That. I saw the word son there. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking and M- my M- M- bees have me. Do it again. Have got any identification? Marty
0: hesitantly hands Reese his wallet. What, am I radioactive or something?
1: No, no. Not beyond any acceptable level. Oh. Have you been x-rayed recently, Martin? Perhaps been in contact with some luminous paint? No. Been any place unusual in the last 12 hours? Home? School? Here. Been in the vicinity of 2980 Monroe Avenue today? Where? Over by the old Orpheum Theater.
0: Marty hesitates a moment. No. Reese hands Marty back his
1: wallet. Okay, Martin, you have a good evening now.
0: Yeah, right. Reese and Foley get back in their car and drive off. Marty thinks a moment, then runs like hell the (laughs) other way down the street. Exterior, Orpheum Theater. Night. Marty runs through the street to the Orpheum Theater. The only thing on the street besides him is is newspaper blowing along the gutters. Oh, my. Marty tries the door to the upstairs. It's locked. Marty steps back and looks at the upper floor. Suddenly, three upper floor windows are blown out by a tremendous gust of air. I thought I was going to say explosion. Just air. A tremendous gust of air. Jesus! Jesus! He tries the door again. Marty has no other choice. He breaks the glass in the door and lets himself in. Marty Marty races up the stairs to the laboratory. The door the locks on it is unlocked, and light can be seen coming from the crack under the door. Marty rushes through the door into interior, the locked room. The locked room. Professor Brown is standing next to a homemade nuclear reactor, made from an unlicensed nuclear reactor, I would guess.
1: Can I um, ask you for a personal favor? What? From now on, we all know it's Professor. Can you just say, Doc? Nope. You know it's Doc. I'm You're feeling Doc. I know the script says Professor. If you want to be like that.
0: Sometimes he shortens it to Prof.
1: Yeah, I can't wait for that.
0: Here he already did it once. Um, professor Brown is standing next to a homemade nuclear reactor <clears throat> made from an old furnace, a hot water heater, and a boiler and boiler room parts. He has one hand on a rope and is adjusting some dials and gauges. Shemp is sitting, the monkey, not the stooge, is sitting quietly on a stool directly under the focusing lens of the professor's invention. He's wearing his organ grinder clothes with a digital watch around his neck. Which is a pretty neat idea. So just picture Marcel. Yeah. Professor! The professor, although surprised to see Marty, is in command of the situation. Get behind that shield! What? Get behind that lead shield. Oh. Get behind that lead shield! He points to the shield at one side of the room. But, Professor! Get behind the shield! I'm about to release radiation! Marty hurries behind the shield. As you do. Yeah. Professor Brown pulls the rope ever so slightly. The power converter is activated. The low-frequency hum of vacuum tubes becomes more intense. The frequency begins to rise, accompanied by the crackle of static electricity. Shemp looks around. <laughs> Curious about all the sounds. The sounds grow in intensity. Tension builds. And at exactly nine o'clock, Professor Brown releases. A Little too loud, dude. And at exactly nine o'clock, Professor Brown releases the rope. At that moment, a high frequency tone is emitted, accompanied by a focused beam of blinding red light, like a spotlight, which hits Shemp. (laughs) Shemp disappears and the top half of the stool disappears with him, leaving the lower halves of the legs, which were not hit by the beam, to topple to the floor. Air rushes through the lab to fill the vacuum that was created by Shemp's disappearance. Actually, it would be a clap. The sound of the equipment dies down, and a stunned Marty McFly steps out from behind the shield. Jesus! Professor, you just disintegrated Shemp! (laughs) Okay, Professor Brown
1: shook his head, a smile playing around his lips. No, Marty, Shemp's molecular structure is completely intact. Then where is he? The appropriate question is, when is he? You see, Shemp has just become the world's first time traveler. I've sent Shemp into the future. Two minutes into the future, to be exact. The future? What are you talking about? Where's Shemp? Shemp is right here in this room. Two minutes from now, and at exactly 9.02, we will catch up with him. Now hold on a minute, Professor. Hold the
0: phone. Are you trying to tell me that, that this, uh, all of this here, that this is a, a... a Time machine, yes. You mean to tell me you built a time machine out of a radiator and some <laughs> boiler room parts?
1: <laughs> <laughs> and all that shit that was in the direction. <clears throat>
0: Marty has to sit down to take this one in.
1: I always knew it would work. I, I knew it would work when I built it 33 years ago. But I was never able to harness enough power to test it. Power is the key. Massive amounts of energy to accelerate matter to the speed of light while creating an intense gravitational field. But generating that kind of energy has never been possible. Until this afternoon... Because of that Coke. Precisely. <laughs> Coke, Coke creates energy. It's uh, the 80s after all. By the way, I think we uh, can see what the product placement was going to be then. He asked and, for a tab earlier. Yeah, before and then before it became uh, uh, Pepsi. But, well, I, but the, the tab is the setup for the joke that we now know in the 50s. Let me get a tab. Tab, I can't give you a tab unless you order something. Pepsi free. Yes. Well, Marty likes tab
0: and coke understandably and and coke uh has something in it that will uh rival plutonium
1: bad messaging yeah that's the point very good i like that you made a coke noise unintentionally just right after that
0: brown takes on the characteristics of a tour guide as he explains the machine
1: (laughs) i just immediately pictured the fucking the animation the animated character from jurassic park Dino dna The power converter now operating at peak efficiency... Oh, you know what we should have thought of? What? Was when you're standing in line for Back to the Future yeah. The ride. Yeah, the uh, the Institute of Future Technology. Yeah. The power converter now operating at peak efficiency, thanks to the chemical makeup of Coca-Cola, channels, em- oh, channels energy into the flux capacitor, which releases several gigawatts in a fraction of a millisecond. Electron acceleration takes place here, and And the result is the temporal displacement beam you saw a few moments ago. The entire process is triggered when I release the rope. I thought that power converter thing operated on solar energy. There's no sun. We destroyed it last week. (laughs) Solar energy would have worked just fine. If I could have placed the converter about a mile from the surface of the sun. No, instead, I've created similar conditions in this reactor here. Indicating the rope. The higher I raise the cadmium rods, the more energy I release from the plutonium core. And the further through, the t- through time, I can send an object. It's a really complicated time machine. Even more complicated than... Yeah. Yeah. The, the one they went with. So, how do, you, how do you decide like
0: whether someone goes forward or backwards? It's just like exposing more plutonium can send you further... But how did he send
1: oh, Shemp dear. into the future?
0: Oh no, I've Marty gone cross-eyed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh where were we? The plutonium? Um That's your line? The plutonium!
0: That's what I came over here for! Professor, where did you get that stuff? Why? Because it's fucking plutonium, that's why. You shouldn't have it. <laughs> You're a guy I know. <laughs> this is a terror. You live in a movie theater. Yeah. Yeah uh, I just got stopped in the street by federal agents checking me for radiation. I figure they're after your plutonium. Ah, complete coincidence. (laughs) (laughs) Professor Brown glances at a digital clock in the lab. It's nine oh one fifty. Ten seconds. He rushes toward the the spot where Shemp vanished.
1: Marty follows. Brace yourself for a sudden displacement of air. He's going (laughs) to (laughs) fart.
0: It's 9.01.55. 56, 57, 58, 59. There is a sudden displacement of air and Shemp reappears. The legless stool reappears as well and topples over. The startled monkey jumps into a nearby bank of equipment.
1: Shemp! I really wish I'd, I'd read ahead and knew that there was a monkey in here. There, like I could have at least three monkey sounds right now. Just to- Everybody knows that Einstein used to be a monkey. I didn't. And you know what's fucked up? I always read those fucking 10 things you probably didn't know about Back to the Future and every one of them, I laugh. You read those videos? I read them, I read those articles, those little point-by-point articles and I watch the videos and the point is I watch all of them and never am I ever surprised with anything. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. It's like 10 things you never, you probably never knew about blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, fucking
0: Did you know Eric Stoltz was what, yes. Professor Brown picks up Shemp, looks him over and examines the watch around his neck. Nine, zero, zero, ten. The lab clock says nine, zero, two, ten. Exactly
1: two minutes of difference. Or, sorry, exactly two minutes difference. And still ticking. Well, well, well Doc, you know, you know, you think that would have worked a lot better if you'd shown us them being in sync beforehand. Yeah. Is Shemp all right? Of course. Shemp is completely unaware that anything even happened other than his stool suddenly falling over. We had to wait two minutes to catch up to him, but for Shemp, the trip was instantaneous.
0: Marty has a look on his face. The look of an idea. Professor, can this thing send Shemp back in time?
1: Theoretically, yes, if I were to reverse the polarity. Professor Brown indicates the polarity
0: switch on the time machine. There we go. Yeah, right. Which is in the plus position. Of course. Jesus, Professor, you've got a gold mine here. A gold mine? Sure, listen. We can take the racing results from today's paper. Marty rips through a discarded newspaper and finds them. Here they are. We send them with Shemp back to
1: yesterday. We get the information, put our money on the winning horses, and become billionaires. And thus the plot for Back to the Future, too. Yes. Marty, that would alter history. So what? Don't you understand? The mere act of sending matter back in time would change the course of events, and changing history is a responsibility that I do not wish to bear. All I know is that you're throwing away an awful lot of money. The future, Marty. The future is everything. I built this machine to see the future. So I'm going to send Shemp 24 hours into the future. You can assist me if you like. Sure. The professor exits the time machine room
0: in his... Oh, it's not the locked room. Now it's the time machine room into his main laboratory. Marty sees that he's gone, so he tears the racing results from the sports page, circles the date, and sticks the clipping into Shem's pocket. Again, making sure that the professor isn't watching, Marty flips the polarity switch to minus. And we'll leave off there. Now, I want to cover something right away. Marty's grand plan is to send these racing results back in time to himself, to a time before he knew there was a time machine or had come up with this plan. Wait, what? Okay, you've just found out that there's a time machine, right? right? Just now. So, you from yesterday has no idea. So, imagine you from yesterday suddenly show... Like, or you from yesterday, um, a monkey suddenly shows up. You know the monkey, but still. And it has... Some racing results in its little vest pocket that you would have no reason to even look in. But say the monkey finds it in there and hands it to you, even if it has tomorrow's date on it, are you going to think anything of that? Are you going to go like, oh, shit, look, tomorrow's date on this newspaper. You know what I'll do? I will go back. I will go and place some bets on this because I am sure that I will make money this way. Uh, yeah. That makes no sense, Marty is dumb. Marty could say, you know, in a week, how about in a week I go back in time to now? Back in time. Or in a week I'll I'll send this back. So if I look in the monkey's pocket now, I'll have results for next week's sports things and I can go place money on it then. And how are you gonna be a billionaire? How much money do you have in your pocket? Cause that's when you can go. Yeah, as, you can as go a to, bet. Yeah,
1: he thinks you can go. Do you, I mean the, the the racetracks just have billionaire well, billions of money? Well,
0: you know, of he, he just goes down there with the thirty five bucks in his pocket. Oh no, he does have a wad of money, but you know, let's let's call that four hundred dollars, right? So he goes out of the racetrack with four hundred dollars. He's like, "What race do you? What, what are the uh, the odds on on this race here? You know, because he has to pick that one. So what what are the odds on Sparkly Biscuit to win? Sparkly biscuit. So unless they say 27 million to one, he's not gonna be a billionaire.
1: Well, not with one trip, certainly. No. No, One pellet, one trip, I must be out of my mind. All right. He could just
0: send himself back in time and place the bet. Stay away from his other self. All he has to do is wait 24 hours. This whole monkey idea is just stupid. Marty's
1: stupid. Well, that's why they got rid of the monkey and got a dog. That's why they got Einstein. No,
0: I mean, just Marty's whole idea of sending the monkey back with the results to a time before he knew there was a time
1: machine. Hey, that's right. That's right. We, I, it's, It's been lost on me up until now, really, that they don't know that people can go back in time. They only know that the the monkey can go back, right? Like objects?
0: No, I'm sure they know that people also can go back. A monkey's not an object, Trevor yeah it's still a living thing it's a
1: human being it's
0: very close to a human being genetically speaking
1: yes all right folks well uh this was uh table reads it's uh, a wonderful podcast that sean makes and i help out with Now we we make it you actually do more to make it than i do i just read shit with you that's what I,
0: I it was my idea
1: yes you are well i consider you the host and i consider the, to be the co-host um if anything i mean All right, folks, that's it for us. We'll uh, we'll see you on the next Table Reads. This podcast was created by Sean McBee and produced by Ferris Wheelhouse. (laughs) <laughs> Fuck.